The first line of this sermon is something I started to write before I found myself where I am today. So for some of you, you'll, you'll appreciate the irony of my first line, and others of you will understand it better later. Some events in life change you. Getting married changes you. Getting married changes where you live as well as how you live. A new career path changes where you go and what you know. Experiencing a significant loss changes what you value and where you invest yourself. All of us, all of us bear memories, sometimes even the scars from events that changed our life forever. For a Christian, the defining moment in life is salvation. Salvation comes when one engages more than the words of the Bible, more than the trappings of religion, more than even the idea or the example of Jesus. Salvation comes, one's life is changed forever when one encounters the living presence of the risen Christ. To discover one's identity as a child of God, to experience the freedom of unconditional forgiveness, to hear the call to cross that continental divide between the empty desert of an existence overshadowed by death and the abundant and eternal life that is ours in Christ. It profoundly, all of it shifts how we think, how we feel, how we exist right here and right now. Last week, in the third chapter of his letter, Peter compared our salvation to the experience of Noah. Long ago, Noah lived in a world overwrought by the damage of sin. But one day, Noah stepped into the ark God told him to build, and everything, everything changed. God cleansed and restored the earth, and when Noah emerged, the world he formerly knew was a different place. Peter goes on to parallel Noah's life-changing event with the defining moment of our salvation, the experience of baptism. We enter the waters of baptism scarred by sin, but by the power of Christ's resurrection, we emerge a changed people, a vindicated people, a saved people. As Peter continues writing to us this morning, we need to keep paying close attention as he describes the significance of this game-changing, life-transforming, world-shifting nature of our salvation in Christ. And in that spirit, I invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, because it's on the basis of what Peter has given us, he starts with a therefore here. 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6, pages, page 852 in your pew Bible. Let's hear together the word of the Lord. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. 
For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Much like chapter th- the end of chapter 3 last week, the beginning of chapter 4 is in some, some ways a very complicated text. But in other ways, it's not all that complicated. For Peter, salvation changes everything. In these few brief verses, Peter emphasizes how salvation changes our attitude towards the life we have been given, particularly in terms of any suffering that comes our way. His words here are applicable not only in how we choose to face each day. Peter, when he wrote this, was not thinking of Christmas, but his his words were considered to be applicable to our day-to-day experience. But because they're applicable to our day-to-day lives, they are also relevant even in when we prepare for special observances like Christmas. And so with Peter's words as a foundation on this 14th day of December, this third Sunday of Advent, with a little more than 10 days to go. How goes it? What are we preparing for? The talk around town this time of year always seems to center around getting into the Christmas spirit. And I don't know if you've been listening, watching, but lots of people are trying to find peace on earth. Lots of people are looking for love and tidings of comfort and joy. Lots of people are seeking goodwill towards men and women. When Peter tells us at the end of this passage, if you have your Bible open at the very end, when Peter tells us to live according to God in regard to the Spirit, is this the Spirit? The Christmas spirit he has in mind? On the face of it, finding the Christmas spirit can sound a lot like finding salvation in Christ. But I'm not sure the Christmas spirit and the spirit, at least the Christmas spirit the way we talk about it today, and the spirit of Christ are one and the same. As defined by some of our most beloved Christmas stories and songs, the Christmas spirit is something you can't buy something you can't earn. No one else can give it to you. It's just, it's something inside one's heart. You just have to get it. And so many of us are trying to get into the Christmas spirit. We try to get into the Christmas spirit through lots of rituals and traditions. We throw up flashing lights, shiny decorations, and swags of evergreen. We inhale peppermint mochas, spiced cider, and other sugary treats. To get the Christmas spirit will enlarge the pockets of our generosity and widen the arms of our compassion. We will talk, we will sing, we will join the chorus of voices lifted up for tidings of comfort and joy. 
To get into the Christmas spirit, we sit on Santa's lap. We put elves on shelves. We throw parties. We send cards and letters. We fill up stockings and we wrap presents. To get the Christmas spirit, we will allow a whole year of our lives and the lives of others to become boiled down to a single question. To get the Christmas spirit, we will allow a whole year of our lives and the lives of others to get boiled down to a single question. Haunted by this question, either priding ourselves on how nice we are or trying to make up for how naughty we've been. We shop till we drop. We bake till we ache. And we drink until we feel better. It's revealing when in the spirit of Christmas we are more concerned and likewise teach our children to be more concerned about how they will be judged by a large man in a big red suit than the one Peter describes as ready to judge the living and the dead. I don't mean to be a Scrooge, but without Jesus, the Christmas spirit sounds a lot like, more like Peter's description of our world apart from God in this passage. Self-indulgence to the point of debauchery and drunkenness. A little less, O oh, come all ye faithful, and a little more, baby, it's cold outside. I don't want to sound like a Grinch, but when our appeal for peace on earth and goodwill towards all expires on the 26th of December and we go back to our blind eye and closed heart that we have towards the brokenness and injustice not only in our lives and in this world, the other 340 days of the year, the Christmas spirit we're trying to get seems more like the detestable idolatry that Peter warns us against here. My friends, if our morality is only seasonal, it isn't sincere. If it's a, morality it's a morality shaped by worshiping our own comfort and joy, rather than, as Peter describes it, a morality shaped by the will of God for the earth, not just at Christmas, but every day of our lives, then our morality is a seasonal morality, and it isn't sincere. Beloved, the Christmas spirit as told by Santa stories in children's books is not the true spirit of Christmas unless it comes from the one we are told about in the Bible. The visible beginning of the salvation of humankind, the word of God, the spirit of God made flesh in Jesus Christ. The spirit of Christ, the spirit of, of Christmas, the spirit of Christ is not something we try to get we work to get into. The spirit of Christ is something we are given. Someone who works to break through the darkness and hardness of our lives to get to us. The Christmas story is the story of the gospel. The story of our God who came to earth, who became a part of his creation through Jesus Christ. The story of the God who created the universe in six days and came into this world the way he created us by way of nine months. The story of the God who entered into the darkness of the womb, the silence of the night, and the fear of a lost world to confront evil, to deal with sin and its consequences and to conquer death forever 
It's the story of a God who in Christ dealt with the ignorance of sin by teaching the truth and living it, living it before our eyes. Jesus endures the consequences, the suffering of sin by healing, by forgiving, and ultimately by sacrificing his life for ours on the cross. The Christmas spirit, the spirit that Peter is talking about here is the character of Christ living out in us all year long. When Peter tells us here to arm ourselves with the same attitude as Christ, he is telling us to make ready or to prepare for Christmas every day of our lives. And many of us wish it could be Christmas all the time. And the truth is, we should always be preparing like Christmas is coming. Because the fact is, every day is a preparation for the one great and final Christmas, the last advent, the second coming of Christ. Beloved, what we tend to forget around this time of year, what might come as something of a shock, is realizing our celebration of Christmas from now until then always begins with the end of the world as we know it. The comfort and joy that we sing about, the love and peace we long for will only be fully realized when Christmas comes, when Jesus comes once and for all. Having the Christmas spirit, the spirit of Christ then, is, is daily, even moment by moment, yielding ourselves in total abandonment to God, arming ourselves with the same attitude towards sin and suffering that Jesus had. And that means that we are seeking to heal the wounds of sin, like Jesus did. That we are seeking to impart forgiveness in the midst of the pain of sin, like Jesus did. That we are sacrificing ourselves in love for the sake of breaking the power of sin, like Jesus did. Generic, marshmallow, holiday spirit apart from Christ doesn't ever last. Its morality melts away. It expires every year, the day after Christmas. But the gift of discipleship being conformed to following the Spirit of Christ lasts, as Peter writes, all year for a lifetime. The Spirit of Christ is given to us, and in dwelling in us, the Spirit of Christ enables us to overcome the strong, selfish desires that once ruled over us in our old life. Every time we yield to Jesus in our thinking, our emotions, in the daily experiences of our life, we resist temptation. And we become more equipped to resist the next temptation. Every time we conquer sin through Christ makes us better able to face the next attack. Resisting temptation is not about giving something up as much as it is about being able to receive more of the Spirit of Christ. Resisting temptation is not so much about giving something up as it is receiving more of the Spirit of Christ. As we build the momentum of conquering sin, we become more filled with Christ. We become more spiritually mature. And spiritual maturity guarantees the infrequency of sin in our lives. There is a war against Christmas, but it's not the war that we're fighting. It's not keeping Christ in Christmas. It's not putting up nativity sets. The war against Christmas is the war against sin, not just for 25 days in December, but every day of our lives.
Yes, we're in a battle, but we're not in the battle that we're fighting. The battle that we're fighting is trivial compared to the battle that Peter is putting before us. And it's a battle that we don't have to fight as much as submit to the one who is fighting for us. Hear that this morning, church. This is the spirit Peter is calling us to live by. This is the true Christmas spirit, which leads us beyond a holiday cheer that is seasonal into a joy that is eternal. So how are we doing? What are we preparing for? Are we temporarily adopting the Christmas spirit or are we seeking to live out of a Christ-like spirit? Are we filled with the will of God? Or are we filling ourselves with the spirit of a season? It is one thing to follow the will of God occasionally, but it is another thing entirely to fill our whole lives with the will of God. Which begs the question, how do you know the will of God? Which, again, on the surface of it seems to be a very complicated question, but at the same time, it's not that hard. How do you know the will of God? The Bible's answer repeatedly is simply, we know the will of God by doing the will of God. God is very upfront about what he, his will is, what he calls us to do. Love, forgive, serve, practice mercy, seek first the kingdom of heaven, seek me above all things. We know the will of God by doing the will of God. Our behavior is only Christian when it is consciously obedient to Christ. My friends, we really only have the spirit of Christmas when we conform our lives to the spirit of Christ. Some of you know, some of you don't, which is fine, but uh, I've been a little out of commission for a while. I, I want to say right from the outset that what I'm about to share What I've gone through, I don't want in any way to suggest that it's at the same level at, at, that some are enduring or have endured before. Um, I, I wouldn't dare make that comparison. I know that people have gone through far worse than I have in the last couple of days. But at the same time, I can only share from what I know. It was a little over a week ago on Tuesday. I think you saw the pictures last week. Right before we were going to go serve together as a community at the warehouse for Operation Christmas Child, I started to have some cramping in my, my stomach, some dis dis discomfort. But being a guy, you know, just kind of, you know, you man up through it. You just, you know, you, you have a little bit more of a, a sterner look on your face, but that's, that's cool. That's, you know, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm focused. <laughs> And I'm at Operation Christmas Child, and I'm working, and it's, it, was go, it was great, um, but it's still there. And I, I think I finally shared only with Lee, Lee who was with me. And Lee said something very prophetically at, at the time, it turns out. I said, you know, I'm just having, I'm just having this pain, you know, in my abdomen. There's pressure. I just don't know what it is. I'm not sure what's... And Lee says, well, just be sensitive. Just be, God may be trying to say something to you. I would love to tell you that I very thoughtfully stopped and paused and breathed that in and went, hmm... Yes, mm, yes. Rather than my cursory, oh yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm, okay. And finished at Operation Christmas Child, got home, and with an hour of being home at our house, 
I was doubled over in pain, agonizing pain. I was screaming in my house. My Beth had already gone to sleep, but obviously was awoken by my screaming. And my screaming persisted all the way, driving to Hope Hospital, going into the ER. I'm very embarrassed. I intend to send notes to everybody because I was a raving madman as I screamed. My son took great delight in hearing about this later on. I had a kidney stone. Some of you have had one. Some of you haven't. Many people have said to me in the, in the midst of this and afterwards of, oh, it's worse pains. It's worse than having a child, having a baby. And I just want to say publicly what I say privately. I don't feel very comfortable or safe as a guy saying that out loud. <laughs> but what I can tell you is I do have a profound, deep, and new respect for my wife going through this not once but twice. <laughs> And any guy who doesn't agree with me, you be careful that you're going to get a kidney stone. <laughs> so I get drugs, I go home, and it, already the first thing that was different is, I don't, I, mean, I don't know your experience in the past, and I can only tell you where I've been, but normally when you're not well and they give you drugs, the purpose of drugs is so that you don't feel bad anymore. And the drugs made me not feel as bad anymore. I wasn't having to scream, but I basically still had pain. So initially I was like, huh, this is different. Maybe I need more drugs. But I was already not in, in my right mind. But right from the outset, from the, in the, in the, they gave me the drugs in the ER the first time to going home. I'm a very prepared person. I mean, I got a lot going on. I'm a very important person. I don't know if you know that. I got a lot of things I got to do. And I, and I wanted to be prepared, and I didn't want to let go. I mean, I had a counseling appointment the next day. I had a graveside service the day after that. I had a memorial service, and I had a sermon to preach on Sunday. And so I was kind of, okay, well, I, I don't, didn't want to let it go. My approach was, okay, if I have to let it go, I have to let it go a piece at a time. And each time I had to let it go, it was agonizing to let it go. And I was resistant. I mean, I was, my, my, my plan was, because I'm prepared, was to let it go a piece at a time. And then all of a sudden on Thursday, as a side effect to one of the medications they put me on, my whole vision went. Whoosh. All of a sudden, it was like a funhouse mirror in my eyes. All of a sudden, the room started spinning. I couldn't keep my eyes open, but the worst part was with my eyes closed, my eyes just kept going all over the place. And that was 48 hours of getting that that through my system. And then after that, I couldn't look at a computer screen. I couldn't look, everything made me nauseous, made the room spin. My plan was to let it go a piece, of the, a piece at a time, resistantly. God's will was to let go of all of it. Now, I'm a prepared person, but I don't know, maybe you're like me. I'm a planner. I like a plan. And, and, and you know, one of the things that started to happen a couple of days in was, I wanted a timetable. When's the fever break? When's the, when am I on the other side of this? When do, you know, okay, I, do I throw up and then I know I'm on the other, when, what's the timetable? And what was maddening from doctors, and I was crabby about this to my wife, to anybody was, well, it could be tomorrow, it could be a week, it could be two weeks. I'm a planner. I wanted a timetable. But no timetable was given. God simply said, and I don't say this lightly, Wait upon me. I can't tell you how many times before I was a pastor and certainly as a pastor, I have said either from the pulpit or I have said sitting across from someone the words of scripture that, well, we just need to wait upon the Lord. It is one thing to say it. 
It is another thing to have to do it. The irony was not lost on me as each day passed into the next. The irony was not lost on me that the last sermon I preached before this one was a sermon that I titled The Blessing of Submission. (laughs) That irony was not lost on me because God brought it to my attention. You want to preach on 1 Peter? You want to preach on suffering? You want to preach on submission? Sure, you can preach about it. But how about actually walking through it? And again, what Peter's talking about here and he's talking about is not on a level with a kidney stone at all. All I could do, all I could do at a certain point was pace. That's all I could do. All I could do was pace and talk to God. And that seemed good, and it was. God and I had a a duration of conversation that we haven't had in a long time. We had a depth of conversation that we haven't had in in a while. And why? Because I had nowhere else to go. (laughs) I had nothing else to do. And like I said, it was good. That was my silver lining. Well, I got all this time with God. It was good. Until I couldn't pace anymore. Until I was so exhausted. And until I, I, I couldn't get comfortable in any position. I couldn't rest. And I literally was losing it. And I realized it was good, but it was still me trying to be in control. You know the funny thing about these conversations I was having with God and they were good is I was doing all the talking. Begging, borrowing, pleading, appealing, promising but I couldn't pace anymore. I was so frustrated. I was so ashamed. So ashamed of the things that that this was taking this long, the things I was letting go, I was broken. And it was in that place that word came to me. My power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Emptied of myself, God said, now you're ready to be filled. When my hope in myself died, God said, now hope in Christ can be born in you. I need you to give you, give you the centerpiece of this, of, of really the centerpiece of my conversations with God because I think that maybe not in the same way you can relate to this at this time of year because it happened now. But there was a point in the midst of my wrestling with God where there were two things that I kept repeatedly saying that were driving me in my, in my planning and in my preparation and in my frustration. I cried out to God. I cried literally to God. I screamed. I begged. I softly whispered, I am missing Advent. My family is missing Advent. Beth is missing Advent. Ethan's missing Advent. Emma's missing Advent. And God said, I kid you not, no, this is Advent. This is waiting. This is yielding. I pushed further. I don't know about how you are with God, but I, I, the sky's the limit with God and me. And at one point, I finally said out loud what I had been say, saying. This isn't helping me get into the Christmas spirit. 
I'm not getting into the Christmas spirit right now. And again, and this is the one that stays with me, God said, no, you're being prepared for my spirit, the spirit of Christ. I look today and I, I don't know how to be any other way than transparent. I feel like if I don't share this with you that I'm doing a disservice to what this experience has been to me, but I don't know if I'll ever celebrate Advent or Christmas the same way again. I don't know if I'll ever look at my life the same way again. And again, I know for some of you, you're like, it's a kidney stone. Wait till you have one. <laughs> Beloved, are you still trying to get into the Christmas spirit? Or are you letting yourself be prepared for the spirit of Christ? The decorations, <laughs> the colors, the lights, the greenery, the rhythm, ribbons, the bows, there's nothing wrong with any of it. We should anticipate, we should celebrate the coming of our King, our Messiah. We should celebrate the coming of Christ. This is right and good. But let us also be mindful that sometimes all our decorating on the outside can be a way of masking, of hiding, of avoiding looking at or letting others see what is on the inside. Sometimes tinsel can be a quick and easy way to make a dead tree look alive. Sometimes stringing flashing lights along the outside of our house can be a way of distracting others or even ourselves from the darkness within. But the truth is, then and now, Christ is born not in the places we decorate, not in the spaces we celebrate. Christ is born in the places where we hide or cover up in fear. Christ is born in the spaces in our lives that are dark and cold where we struggle with guilt or shame, where we continue to hurt or mourn loss. Christ comes in the gaps, in the tension of what is unplanned, of where we are unprepared, when it is inconvenient and things are messy and not all together. The Christ who will return at the end of time somehow inhabits each ending we experience in this life, the spirit, the living presence of Christ enters into our every loss, comes to us in the midst of our every devastation, gathers us up when our world has shattered, and offers us the healing that is a foretaste of the wholeness that he is working to bring about not only at the end of time, but also in this time, in this place. No matter where we have been, no matter what we have done, no matter what has been done unto you, there is no mistake too great for God's grace to correct. There is no sin too deep for God's mercy to forgive. There is no failure too final for God's love to redeem. There is no wrong too burdensome for God's power to overcome. Beloved, 
The spirit of Christmas is a spirit that lasts more than 25 days or 12 or one. The spirit of Christmas is more than a season. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of our past, our present, and our future. It is the spirit of a savior. It is the very spirit of God that comes to us, into our world, into our flesh, in Jesus Christ. So yes, let's prepare. Let's prepare to have more than the Christmas spirit. Let's prepare to embrace the spirit of Christ. Let's prepare not by intoxicating ourselves with carols, cookies, and cards. Let's prepare by fasting, by entering into the sacred silence of waiting and hoping for new birth. Let's prepare by experiencing the stretching, the kicking, and the enlarging that comes when life, new life, is about to come into this world. Let's prepare by breathing more slowly, becoming more focused as our Savior begins once again to come into the horizon of our confusion, our suffering, our doubts, and our pain. Let's prepare to receive our salvation, not in what we find under the tree, but rather in the one who will hang on the tree for us. Together, let's prepare for the fulfillment of a promise, the coming of the spirit of Christmas, past, present, and future, the birth of the one who puts sin to death and raises the children of God to life, the spirit of Christ. Let's prepare, not just by counting the days until Christmas. Let's prepare by making every day count for Christ. Will you pray with me? <sighs> Unslumbering God. <laughs> At an unexpected hour. You came into our undeserving world and turned the darkness of sin and death into the light of new birth and eternal salvation. May your spirit fill us with new life, new hope, and overshadow us with your power and your grace. Jesus, teach us. Teach us to prepare for your coming. Keep us faithful in unguarded moments and alert in uncertain times so that we may seek your unmeasured mercy, your infathomable love, so that we may serve you with undivided hearts and bear witness to the promise of your word, a promise fulfilled, not always where we plan for it, but always when and where we need it. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Fill the hearts of your people. And all God's people said, Amen. <laughs>